You're listening to audio from Grace Community Church in Anger, North Carolina. More information about Grace Community Church can be found at graceccnc.org. Amen, and congratulations to all of these guys in the new positions where the Lord is leading them and using them. We're so grateful uh, for their service in the kingdom. And welcome to all of you. If it's your first time at Grace, we extend to you a very special welcome. Um, I Did I hear correctly that we just welcome new members who have confessed that they're sinners? Did, did that? Yes, we did, which is a good thing. The Gospel of John, where we end today, we're finishing a mini-week series on the Gospel of John interrupted by COVID, but the gospel of John tells us that we must follow Christ, and in following Christ, we have to acknowledge our sin and believe that his death on the cross is our hope of eternal life. It's fully explained in the the epistles, but that news is all there in John's gospel. I want to ask you today, as we think about this last chapter, John 21, If there's anything in your life that recurs in unexpected ways and places that almost always causes you to say, there it is again. There it is again. Maybe, um, for for me, look at this may sound strange, but there's there's a number and it's a very very interesting number. You would not expect this to be a surprise. But the number 100, when I'm reading a book, I have no idea what page I'm on, and I turn the page, and there it is, either at the top, the bottom, doesn't matter. I just always see page 100, almost never see page 97, or 21, or any other, but 100, I see it, or 200, or 300, or 2006. No, I'm just kidding about that. I don't read books quite that large. Um, For Lee and Stacey Willerford... Alice and I have heard him talk about the presence of a dime. A dime just shows up at big moments in their life. Something they have just gotten this unbelievable news. Look down on the ground and there's a dime. Either something wonderful has happened or they've received news on the opposite end of wonderful. So is this coincidence? A lot of people would say, yes, it is. But for Lee and Stacy, it's a reminder of God's beautiful presence in their lives. And I asked them if we could share this, and Lee said, absolutely. In fact, here's what I would say about it. Quote, seeing these dimes appear in the strangest of places at very specific times reminds me that God is always in full control, that he loves and cares for us personally as his children. And that reminder Provide such peace and reassurance. Now, if you're here for the first time, you may be thinking, where is this going? Do, 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 you know, just crazy stuff. Not, not, you'll know better soon. In fact, Scripture warns us about reading too much into events and things that happen. But I, I'm going to guess many of you have such indicators of God's personal and tender care for you, things that come up or happen or are said at just the right time in your moment of need or joy. 
I know, I know there's a possibility that we might get carried away with such coincidences. And, and believe me, the warning is in the very text that we're reading today. But may we not miss God's personal care for us in this rational, scientific, material age. Today's text is John 21. All of it. This is the last Sunday for our sermon series in John's Gospel, although there will be a review in a few weeks with a panel of elders talking about our time in John's Gospel. One of the purposes of these panels is to affirm God's design, New Testament design, that all elders are pastors, teachers. Now, Stephen Michelle is Stephen. Uh, Stephen and Michelle Eisenberg have had quite a week. Stephen has been in the hospital with brain surgery on Monday. Uh, and he's still there. Alice and I are going up to see him after lunch today. Um, but if one of the elders, and we I've been a few times this week and going back today, but if one of the other elders had gone, if Bert Wallace had gone to see Stephen and someone asked Stephen, did your elder come to see you, or excuse me, did your pastor come to see you? He could say rightly, yes, my pastor came to see me. Because all the elders are pastors, teachers. And that's one of the reasons we do this panel in the way that we do, and several of you scattered around here. The reason that we're going to take all of John 21 in one go is because of the narrative structure of the chapter. It's difficult to chop it up into pieces, although... There are multiple topics and applications to be made. So we could, but it just seems better altogether. We're going to walk with John, the apostles John and Peter, as they try to make sense of what it means to live for and with and without a resurrected Savior. Although Peter's decisions, actions, and thoughts were pre-Pentecost, all of this happened before the Holy Spirit came upon believers at Pentecost, there is much for us to learn about the Savior's tender care and love for us. Since we're going to be going verse by verse or section by section in this chapter, we'll not stand for the reading as is our custom, but we should begin with a word of prayer. So if you would, please bow with me in prayer. As we say, Father, uh, we recognize in our lives that there's so much more going on than meets the eye. You have given us very clear instruction of how to live, what to believe, and how to live out that belief that we have in Christ. Uh, in today's text, we're going to see the many different ways that you just show us over and over in everyday life. And only according to your word, you show us how much you love us. And so we pray that you would open our hearts wide and fill them full on this day. In Jesus' name, amen. John chapter 21, verse 1. After this, after the two resurrection appearances... On Easter Sunday and the next Sunday night with Thomas, this is the third time we're going to hear that he's revealed himself to his disciples. He had revealed himself to others, Mary Magdalene, the other women. 
But three times, this is the third time in John's account that he's revealing himself to his disciples. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, which is the Sea of Galilee. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were going together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. And they said to them, you're not going alone. We will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. So what's the very first thing you think of when you read these verses, especially that Peter went fishing? You're, prob- you're in the majority if you were, if you were to say, my, my first thought is, oh, Peter, what are you doing going fishing? That's my first inclination also, but why would we be critical of Peter for going fishing and find that six of his colleagues <coughs> have joined him? This was before the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost to indwell believers, and there was apparently not yet any direction from Jesus to the apostles except this. Tell them I will meet them in Galilee. Now, think about it. The the Feast of Unleavened Bread has just finished. The apostles who were from, almost all from Galilee, had been in Jerusalem, but now it's time to go home. And so they began to move back toward Galilee, and they went back to the familiar in the absence, again, of any direction, specific direction, commercial fishing. Verse 4. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, did you have any fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved, therefore, said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garments, for he was stripped for work, and he threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far off from from the land, but about a hundred yards off. If you were in the boat, you might think there's something familiar about this scene. For the Apostle John, this was a moment where he's like, Hey, wait just a minute. I've seen this before. It gets better. Verse 9. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in, in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish. That you just have caught, you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish. Peter was obviously pretty pumped up at this point. 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. Now, none of the disciples dared to ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. 
This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. So once again, the disciples must have felt something familiar with Jesus standing by a charcoal fire as they arrived at the shore. Peter, for sure, had one of the same moments John had just had. Hey, wait just a minute. The only other time a charcoal fire is mentioned in John's gospel is in the courtyard outside Anna's house where Peter denied Jesus. Was there a connection? Almost certainly. Almost certainly, even as Jesus asked Peter three times, do you love me? Denied him three times, do you love me three times? But this was not cruel and harsh, but rather kind and restorative. And Jesus gave them bread and fish. Now let's just see, is there any other time where bread and, oh yeah, that's right. Was there significance to 153 large fish? Possibly, probably not, maybe, maybe not. Unless it was that now, Peter was to be a fisher of men. Verse 15. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, Son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, (coughs) yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, (coughs) tend my sheep. Peter said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Love me. And because Peter was grieved, because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. I want to take just a second here, just a, a minute or two, and address something that will be a big deal to some of you. The others of you have no idea what I'm talking about, please just bear with me for just a moment because the people that do know, this is a big deal. There are two different words used for love that that Jesus and Peter are using here. Agapao, which you know in the form agape, agape love. You've all heard of agape love, right? This is this eternal, the, the notion is it's an eternal godly love. And then the other term is phileo, which is a far lesser kind. Not a far lesser, but it's a lesser kind of love. Friendship, it's kind of like, do you love me? I like you. This is what's going on between Jesus and Peter. Jesus says, do you have this eternal love for me, if this is true? Jesus says, do you have this eternal agape love for me? Peter, probably embarrassed because of you know his, his denial, of Christ says, Lord, you know that I like you. Jesus says, do you love me? And Peter says, yes, Lord, I like you. And then Jesus, in this scenario, he sort of lowers his head and says, Peter, do you, do you like me? And he says, yes, Lord, you know that I like you. The significance of this is 
that there's no significance to the two words being used. They both mean love. They're used interchangeably all through the Gospel of John. In John 5.20, the father phileo likes the son. But we know that that's not the case. The father loves the son with an eternal love. And the love that he has for us is because of the love that he has for his son. And it flows through Jesus. And then also in John 3.19, we're told that men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. But the word agapao is used. The, that men had this eternal godly love for darkness because their works were evil. Not so. John's choice of words was more stylistic than substantive. Look, maybe, maybe one of the reasons I felt compelled to say that it's just simply that there are so many things that you hear today that really sound good that you can just sort of get on a horse and ride it for a long way and you t find out, oh, I know for sure when I learned that really that these words are used interchangeably, it messed up a really great sermon that I used to use a lot at camp, you know, and, and in other places. So it's just that way sometimes. By the way, can I, this, is another, this is a good time to say this. Be willing to grow in your understanding of Scripture. Don't ever paint yourself into a corner to where you can't say, Oh my, I got that wrong. Okay, I understand. I have better understanding now. And if you haven't changed your thoughts about Scripture in the last 10 years, say, at all, if you're riding the same horse you were riding 10 years ago, are you really growing in Christ? You even see in Scripture, the as Scripture goes along and as they write, they're getting more and more understanding. The understanding was very, very small at first in Acts, but as time goes on, the sermons get better and better because we're understanding God and His Word and His ways more and more. Don't misunderstand me. God's truth is unchangeable. But the beauty of our relationship or his relationship with us in his word is that we grow in our understanding. So John's choice of words was more stylistic than substantive. And in fact, Jesus and John were likely speaking in Aramaic. It matters the Greek words matter because John was writing in Greek for a purpose, for an audience, which was, of course, the Holy Spirit's, Holy Spirit's purposes. I better move on before I start hearing. Here's what should capture our attention in John 21. The tender way that Jesus restored the one who had denied him. You might think that Jesus was digging at Peter by asking him three times if he loved them. Apparently, Jesus did not subscribe to the view, well, I told her that I loved her when we got married, and if I changed my mind, I'd let her know. He was asking Peter three times. Was there a connection? Absolutely. It was a gentle rebuke, though. Although Jesus asked Peter to declare his loves three times, also he commissioned Peter to service. 
three times. Most likely when he asked, do you love me more than these? He could have meant, do you love me more than fishing? Do you love me more than you love these guys? But most likely he was saying, Peter, are you sure that you love me more than these other guys do? A gentle reminder, no doubt, of the dangers of prideful comparisons with others. We'll talk about that more in a little bit. In verses 18 and 19, Jesus prophesied that Peter would die as a martyr. Well, John was able to understand that fully by the time he wrote his gospel. Jesus lived in the early 30s, A.D. 30s. Um, Peter was most likely martyred in the mid-60s. Chances are decent that the tradition, what tradition says about Peter being crucified upside down, please do that. I'm not worthy to be crucified as my Lord was. Chances are Decent that that happened that way. Almost certainly Peter was crucified. Uh, this was in the mid-60s. And now in the 80s to 90s. Some people believe it was earlier. But even if it was earlier that John wrote his gospel. Like pre-70. It would have been after Peter was martyred. I tend to think that this happened in the 80s to 90s. Early 90s. Where John wrote his gospel. So, if, if John is writing about this now, did John and Peter understand at the time that Jesus was saying, you're going to be crucified? Almost certainly they, they got it at some level. You're going to be martyred. But Jesus certainly knew. Verse 20. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. The one who also had leaned back against him during the supper and had said, Lord, who is, who is that <clears throat> that is going to betray you? This was John recalling, almost certainly again, this is the Apostle John. He's recalling the time at the supper where he was very close to Jesus. And when Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about that man? So Peter, John's identifying himself and Peter once he's told he's going to die, it turns and looks over at John. What about that man? Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So the saying spread abroad among the brothers that this disciple was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die. But if it is my will that he remain until I come. What is that to you? So John is writing as a participant in this story. Peter seems to have had a problem with measuring his life against others. And he wanted to know if John would die as a martyr also. I guess it's that misery loves company kind of thing, you know. You know how it is when, when your parents are like, you're in trouble. And you're like, well, what about who? <laughs> What about him? What about her? So that's sort of the spirit that, that Peter's asking. And Jesus' response created a bit of confusion for the early church. It wasn't that Jesus was unclear. It's just that people took his words in the wrong way. Through the years, the rumor grew that, John, that Jesus had said he would return before John died. And John wanted to correct this misunderstanding. No, no, that's not what he said. 
He just was telling Peter, what if he remains alive until I return? What is that to you? Then John wrapped up his gospel for the second time. The first time was at the end of chapter 20. Now at the end of chapter 21, verse uh, 24. This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things. And we know that his testimony is true. Most likely when John says we know that his testimony is true, he's using the apostolic we rather than the royal we, which added weight to his claim. All the other disciples, all the other apostles had been martyred by the time that John wrote. But he said there is strong witness that all of these things are true. There's enough continuity that you can check it out. Verse 25, now these, there are many, also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. What a great way to end this gospel. Even though this was written about Jesus' interaction with the apostles in a transitional time, verse chapter 21. There is so much for us here to learn about the ways of God. You're going to have to fill in some of the considerable blanks that will be uh, left that jump out at you because of time shortage. But I want us to think about quickly seven points of application beginning with God's plan for you is perfect. Even if you do not yet know what it is. Sometimes it just takes time. To know what God's plan is. And a lot of you I know as I can be myself. Are prone to fret. When you feel unsure about what you should do. And time is passing by. If you're lazy that's one thing. But honestly I don't know anybody. In our church that's just lazy. Now you may be good actors. I may be fooling you. But I don't know about lazy people in our church. You're motivated to serve the Lord. Learn to trust God early. Because you may be doing the very thing God has designed and clearly shown you should be doing today. And then tomorrow, everything changes. God's plan for you God's sovereign design for your life in the craziest, what seem to be the craziest ways. You're walking in his will and his plan for you is perfect no matter what. Second, rhythms and routine are often the gateway to the mysterious and tender expression of God's love for you. Think about all the normal activities going on in John 21. Good friends and business associates getting it done. Okay, they weren't getting it done. (laughs) But they were together. Disappointment with the lack of a catch, but a fine breakfast where possibilities exploded in their hearts. So in these crazy days when we have no idea what crisis will have developed by the time we leave this service... 
allow the rhythms of life and the routine of meals and fellowship and spiritual disciplines and loving one another, even loving your enemies, to lead you to places of awe as you experience the consistent and splendid love, splendid love that God pours out on you in ways that are ever new. Third, by the way, before I say the third, let me just point you back to the, to, to, to the grace matters that we had um, this past Sunday night. Neil Manning had just a great quote from Doug Wilson about just living life in normal ways when everything around you is going crazy. We have been worked up into a frenzy in our day. Something constantly has to be going on. We need to slow down and realize that second point. Rhythms and routine are often the gateway to the mysterious and tender expressions of God's love for you. Three, truth spoken in love is better than false expressions of praise. Now, the issues between Peter and Jesus had to be dealt with. We do not know whether Jesus ever confronted Peter directly beyond this, this encounter where Jesus confronted him about his denial. But I, I kind of doubt that he did. And, and please understand, this is not a passive-aggressive rebuke. But it is a reminder, and it's a gentle and kind restoration of Peter to service. And a reminder to him that pride goes before destruction. And a haughty spirit before a fall. Better to, to, to speak the truth in love to those with whom you do life than to participate in the lies that the culture loves to tell. My goodness, I, I can remember not that many years ago when I, when I first heard about college professors who were afraid to give their students bees because they might become so depressed that they would commit suicide. What are we, what are we doing? We, there is no place for truth in our world. You don't have to be cruel and unkind. But if we can't speak the truth to one another, we're just done, really, with life. We're not thinking about eternity. One of the, one of the beautiful things about eternity is that this life is hard. And it's, it doesn't seem like it now. But when you get there... <coughs> You're going to be so glad that God allowed every difficult thing to come into your life because of this beautiful pattern that God has of suffering and glory. Fourth, comparisons between yourself and others are almost always unwise. Every time you turn around in the gospel... Gospels, the disciples were comparing themselves with one another and trying to get on top of one another. James and John want to be on the right hand and the left hand of Jesus when he comes into his kingdom. <clears throat> and when Peter knew that Jesus was prophesying his martyrdom, even though he was not fully sure what form it would take, he turned around and said, well, what about him? Why are you always picking on me? What about John? Thank goodness 
In addition to the fact that none of you are lazy, none of you ever do that. Have you been treated unfairly? Let me be more specific. Are you being treated unfairly now? Shouldn't the truth be known? Speaking of truth, should you be respected more than you are? Comparisons between yourself and others lead neither to peace nor righteousness. Fifth, God's purposes for you exceed your failures. But we don't really believe this, do we? Look, the failure we're talking about here is not on the part of the Lord to keep his promises to forgive and restore us. The problem lies with our misunderstanding that we can be good enough to be used of the Lord. It's almost like we know that we have to realize we cannot be good enough to save ourselves. That our only hope is in Jesus saving us. But we also have to come to the point of understanding if God is going to use us, we have to realize I'm not worthy. I am not the best man or the best woman for the job. But in his mercy, for whatever reason, God chose me. And and I'm so blessed that he not only saved me, but that he uses me. Remember, when you are overwhelmed by your failures, and look, this, this arrogant attitude, I'm the best for this, <laughs> can quickly become when you fail, I'm just not worthy for anything. Well, no, but Jesus, our worthiness is in Christ. Our union with him is what makes us worthy. Remember, to be disappointed with yourself is to have believed in yourself. Sixth. Sometimes prophecies are misunderstood. Be careful to follow Jesus, not someone's idea of when Jesus will return. None of the disciples could make sense of the cross, even though Jesus had told them, I'm going to die on a cross. They could make even less sense of the resurrection, though Jesus had told them, I will rise on the third day. Now, as John wrote, some 50 Plus years after Jesus' ascension to heaven, he was having to clear up a miscommunication of what happened that day on the shores of Galilee, as recorded in John 21. Now, John understood that he was living in the last days and that Jesus had come at any time. But he needed to correct this idea that people thought, Well, Jesus said he was going to come back before you die, and you're an old man, so it must be in the next few years. In 1 John 2, the apostle John wrote that he and his readers were living in the last days, and that already many antichrists had come into the world. So we know that all days since Pentecost, since that day when the Holy Spirit fell on believers... All the days have been the last days. That was true in John's early years. It was true in his late years. It was true for Augustine in the 4th century. It was true for Martin Luther in the uh, 16th century. It's true for all of us. We are living in the last days. And we, 
it, it's beautiful that we all are anticipating Jesus to come within the next few years. He has to, right? Because, man, they can track us. The mark of the beast is somehow going to be... Look, let me just say this about the mark of the beast. If it's on your right hand, if it's in your head, it's in your forehead, and it is associated with worshiping a man, that's the mark of the beast. Not a vaccine card that enables you to travel. Whether it's a good idea or not, the mark, is that leading us to that? Yes, it probably is. Great. Quit Google. Get off Amazon. And I need to get off my high horse right now. So, and get back to the, to the text at hand. But, but is Jesus going to return soon? Yes. And in the 16th century when the British defeated the Spanish Armada, they were certain that that was an indication that Jesus is coming back. Follow Jesus. Not anybody who tells you it's going to happen by this time, and here's why. It may. We may be reading the signs just right. But what happens when you read the signs that you're supposed to marry someone? And then he or she marries somebody else. Is it like the Lord is going... We've got to recalculate because my will got messed up. So now we've got to move it in a different direction. What happens to you when you were absolutely certain this was God's will? What happens when someone betrays you or you receive a terminal diagnosis? What then? Just as a parent may tell a child in a scary situation, look at me. Look at me. Don't look over there. You look at me. So Jesus says to us, just like he said to Peter, look at me. Look at me. Now, follow me. Last. The fullness of Jesus' worthiness will only be revealed in eternity. All through his gospel, the Apostle John went out of his way to let us know that he was the one whom Jesus loved. And that's kind of strange to me. God allows his personality to shine forth, and he's doing the very thing he's sort of ragging Peter about. But that's the beauty, again, of the Word of God, the truth of Scripture coming through, the infallible Word of God being written by fallible men. He was the one that Jesus loved and the one who was next to to the supper, next at the supper in a place of friendship. And who knows, maybe John's thinking was way bigger than mine because he wrote all of those books, the Gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, Revelation, all toward the end of his life. And what happened to John at Patmos in Revelation 1 when this intimate friend of Jesus saw His dear friend, Jesus, in his heavenly glory. John fell at his feet as one who was dead. When John was taken into heaven in Revelation 4, the unfolding glory of Jesus devastated, overwhelmed, and thrilled him. For the purpose of the gospel that we now end, 
Jesus or John wrote were every one of the things Jesus did to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Just imagine what is in store for us when we are with him in eternity. All the more reason for us to cry out, Maranatha, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I don't even know what to say at this point in prayer. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the consistency of your word that allows us to understand fully all the, 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 the world is entirely different was than it was in the first century. We are exactly the same. And we need you just like those disciples needed you. We need your assurances. We need your love and tender care, your forgiveness, your restoration of us when we fall. We need to know that Jesus is coming again. And your word tells us, and you've given us hearts to believe it. And we thank you for that. So, Lord, as we end our time in this gospel, short of a review, that is, we're thankful that it was written so that we might believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And by believing, we might have eternal life. And although we know that when we put our faith in Christ the first time, we have been given eternal life. Even so, give us hearts day in and day out to believe all that is written. We thank you for choosing us to be in your family, to be in your service. And we thank you for giving us one another. And we give thanks for all these things in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Grace Community Church, located in North Carolina. Feel free to make copies of this audio content to share with others. But please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Grace Community Church, go to graceccnc.org.